to the Weekly Skeptic, episode 49. I'm Nick Dixon here with controlled opposition, Mr. Toby Young. Coming up, Nat West go cashless, Musk goes nuclear on cancel culture, and a post-cancellation unapology from Neo. Plus loads more, and of course, peak woke. But Toby, I thought we'd start with this cashless society story. Nat West have limited withdrawals and deposits, and the country of Australia is doing a similar thing. Their top four banks uh, warning that uh, cash with withdrawals will be limited in various cities. They're suddenly rolling this out. No one seems to have asked us. We're just going cashless against our will, Toby. Yeah, no, I think it's um, really sinister. And it actually reminds me of the gradual transfer of sovereignty from Parliament to the EU over decades. It was um, done without the consent of the British people. Um, uh, and there was a real democratic deficit there. And similarly, the move to a cashless society um, is being done without the consent of the British people. No one's voted for a party that's had that in their manifesto. It just seems to be something that all three main political parties agree is a good thing. And it's happening whether we like it or not. And like the transfer of sovereignty from Parliament, um, it will have the effect of eroding our freedom. Um, and transferring control to an unelected, unaccountable body. Um, uh, in this case, you know, um, the Bank of England, which wants to roll out a central bank digital currency. Um, and to underline just how sinister this is, um, it was announced by NatWest that they were changing their terms and conditions to limit the amount of cash people could deposit or withdraw from their accounts um, in a leaflet called Tomorrow Begins Today which sounds like exactly the kind of thing you'd expect a leaflet announcing the coming of the cashless society to be called in a kind of dystopian satire about the near future. And it also is eerily reminiscent of the song, the Nazi song in Cabaret, Tomorrow Belongs to Me. And you can sort of imagine Tomorrow Begins Today being sung to the same tune. Tomorrow begins, tomorrow begins, tomorrow begins today. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried about the vigour with which you've been singing that song all day, even before we recorded. <laughs> you, you really come out, when, it's, when singing Nazi songs, you really, the, the, your true self comes out. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I just, I'm just a fan of Cabaret, just a great film. <laughs> yeah, it's completely innocent, of course. Um, I, uh, it reminded me of uh, something sponsored by Britcoin, Toby. For our regular listeners, Britcoin, of course, is the, uh, the new British CD. Con- what, I always get that wrong. Central Bank Digital Currency, probably CBDC. sponsored by Tony Blair. Exactly. And uh, I can see t- tomorrow begins today. It was absolutely meaningless. It's as meaningless as gamble responsibly, completely oxymoronic. What does it even mean? Do you like today? You'll love tomorrow. Tomorrow is better. Tomorrow you'll have no cash. Nat West. I mean, what, did it, what does it even mean? It's like a, James, it's like a, one, a lesser James Bond film. It is. It, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's totally meaningless. But um, and for that reason, I think it's, it's, it's kind of a, 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 a typical kind of corporate logo. You can imagine that, you know, when the Britcoin Corporation is established and Tony Blair becomes its first chairman, tomorrow begins today will be its official logo. Do you think that's a way for them just to steal time off us in the future? Like that's the next thing that we have to reduce is time. Tomorrow begins today. We're reducing the day to twelve hours to save on carbon emissions. You know, like, like they're, they're now shrinking time. Tomorrow begins. How can tomorrow begin today? When does it begin? How many hours do we get? 
tomorrow. Yeah, it is. Today. It is. It's, 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 it's sinister weird. every which way. Yeah, it's both meaningless yeah. and a portent of something horribly sinister that we don't we can't figure out because it's so vague. Um, and the other thing that happened in banking in the exciting world of banking was that Monzo Bank denied Jeremy Hunt an account as staff called Tories evil. Getting that from the Times. And they also called Sir Jacob Rees-Mogg. Well, they, they said he could do the human race a favor by leaving politics and called J.K. Rowling vile. And one of the most shocking parts was that in April 22, a senior manager said that the Tories are evidently swaying towards arguments put forward by TERFs. So we have senior managers in banks using these pathetic terms like TERFs as a pejorative. I know it's been kind of owned a bit by the gender critical people, but, you know, these are supposed to be senior people in banks. And they're just basically they sound like Twitter interns they just sound like twitter activists what do you make of that one toby yeah it's odd how you know the very same people who say they're concerned about you know rising hate speech in our society and think that hate speech leads directly to violence and kind of justify the suppression of points of view they find mildly disagreeable by labeling them hate speech the very same people will in the next breath use the term turf as though it wasn't a kind of hateful pejorative to whip up hatred against, you know, gender critical feminists. Um, we saw this uh, in a library leaflet. I don't know if you saw the story. It wasn't this week's story. It was last week's story. But I think you even mentioned it in Peak Woke last week. But um, a- an organization which provides information and guidance to libraries across the UK um, explained in very neutral language what a turf was um, in order to discourage librarians from kind of um, keeping books by turfs on open open stacks, you know, keep them under the counter, um, bury them um, in cobwebbed, encrusted stacks at the very back of the library. Uh, And they use the term turf as though it was completely neutral, just a factual description of anyone who doesn't, you know, fully endorse gender identity ideology. And it's extraordinary. Yeah. All right. That was Monzo. I mean, it's not, it's not that interesting. So I won't dwell on it too much. Um, Should we move on and do the the neo thing, Toby, because I'm, I'm sort of far more interested in that. I mean, yeah. I know cash society is pretty important and we're all, you know, creeping towards it. But um, this is quite interesting. So Neo, the singer, he, he put out a really interesting statement on a podcast where he said that you shouldn't be able to transition a child of five or eight or 12 without the parents shouldn't just just do whatever the child says when it's such a serious thing as gender reassignment surgery, whatever we're calling it these days. And and he, he said this on a podcast, completely reasonable, good point. Obviously, you shouldn't transition children. It's completely insane. But then he, he climbed down and did the inevitable apology. And the apology was absolutely disgusting. And it was particularly disgusting where children are concerned because you're essentially throwing children under the bus. And uh, Neo said, after much reflection, I'd like to express my deepest apologies to anyone that I may have hurt with my comments on parenting and gender identity. So he said, I've always been an advocate for love and inclusivity. There's the classic buzzword, inclusivity. Later, he says, I plan to educate myself. That's another one of the, the enforced phrases. And he ends by saying, I lead with love and support, support everyone's freedom of expression and pursuit of happiness, but apparently not his own freedom of expression. So I thought it was really disgusting because... You know, he, he completely threw children under the bus and just immediately folded. But then it took another twist because he then put out a video where he took back the apology. He said, look, I want to speak just from the heart, not some publicist statement, basically pinned it on his publisher and said that he's never going to say that it's OK to trans your child. 
He's he's gonna he is gonna educate himself, but he's actually but probably no book he reads will ever make him think that's okay and that's his opinion. And you know he doesn't want to offend anyone, but that's his opinion. Deal with it, type of thing. And it was actually a pretty decent statement, he's, especially the fact that he said that, that would never be okay, though he would look into it more. But it was unlikely to ever change his mind. But what happened here, Toby? He, this publicist statement, what he's saying was a publicist statement, was pathetic and groveling and used all the struggle session ideology buzzwords. But then the then the video was back to the sort of normal guy, Neo, just a bloke who seems to have a bit of common sense. What do you think? Yeah, well, didn't he blame it on his on an overzealous publicist trying to protect his brand and disowned what she'd put out purporting to be a statement from him and said, I didn't say this, that was my publicist. I actually believe what I originally said and I stand by it. And that's actually almost exactly what happened when J.K. Rowling first got into difficulty for expressing her gender critical beliefs. A publicist at Bloomsbury issued a retraction, I think without asking her about it first. Um, And J.K. Rowling then had to issue a correction, essentially countermanding the retraction. And that seems to have been what's happened in this case. Have you noticed, um, Nick, that the word inclusion is increasingly becoming replaced by inclusivity. Um, do you think they mean different things? This is like the difference between equity and equality, because equality, equity, and inclusion seems to be coming equity, diversity, and inclusivity. And it was interestingly, it was the word inclusivity that was used by someone on the risk committee at Coots in the 36-page document that Nigel Farage uncovered with his subject access request. It was because Farage didn't fit in with Coots's value of inclusivity, not its value of inclusion, but inclusivity. Do you think that inclusion is now being kind of retired? Because in the case, if you're going to kind of exclude someone from a bank um, uh, by appealing to inclusion, it's just so obviously nonsensical. Maybe you're going to kind of trigger fewer people. They're going to notice the contradiction less. If instead of saying, I'm excluding this person because I believe in inclusion, you say, I'm excluding this person because I believe in inclusivity. And it sounds less obviously contradictory. Hmm, you think that's the reason? Yeah, they do just sometimes update their language, don't they? I mean, one of the characteristics of woke ideology or or sort of language-obsessed postmodern leftism, neo-Marxist postmodernism, is that it kind of, <laughs> it updates constantly, doesn't it? I mean, I th- the classic example was, I believe it was Estimate Bay got in trouble for using the phrase coloured people, which we all know is banned mm. now. But when you look at it soberly, you go, people of colour, yay. And it's like that Drake meme, coloured people, Boo. So it's, it's, when you look at that, that how absurd that is on the face of it, that if you just reverse yeah. the word, one of them will get you cancelled and banned forever. One of them is completely perfect and woke. Yeah. And um, uh, in this, as you say, um, it happens all the time. Another example is um, I discovered not so long ago that um, the phrase Afro-Caribbean, like Afro-American, is now infradig. Used to be, you know, the thing you were supposed to say. Now you have to say African-Caribbean or African-American, because, you know, there's no continent called Afro, no region of the world called Afro, so it's clearly... Right, it sounds like you're referencing ha- a hairstyle. <laughs> yeah, um, but I, I think it's deliberate, because really what's going on when, you know, when people are told they need to speak wokish and then making it very difficult for them to do so by constantly changing the vocabulary is it's intended to be a kind of way of differentiating the kind of, you know, higher status whites in particular from lower status whites. If you if you get the lingo right, you have to have, you know, you have to virtually have done a master's in whiteness studies to get the lingo right, but it's a way of advertising your membership of the Brahmin class. It's like, you know, speaking Latin in the 19th century, except it's harder because unlike Latin, as you 
you say, it changes every few months. You know, I think the changing part is key to where, yes, not only are you signaling that you're part of that class and you understand it, you're also signaling total capitulation because you're saying, I am prepared to change my language and my views essentially day by day. My only value is staying in with the party. That's what you're essentially saying. If you're prepared to change yeah. your phrase, oh, that's changed now, has it? Okay, master, you're just prepared to do whatever they say, basically, right? You have no views. You have no principles that, that span time. They're just, they're, your principles are totally flexible day by day. Yeah, there's that. But also um, changing the vocabulary all the time um, uh, gives them a pretext for purging people within their own ranks for using the wrong vocabulary. Um, and they need to have the kind of constant purging process to kind of remind people, you know, why they should comply, why they shouldn't dissent. You know, we'll give you a punishment beating just like we did this guy. So they have to have a kind of mechanism built in to um, uh, give them a pretext for, for, for meeting out these punishment beatings, you know, every five minutes as a constant reminder to what might happen to you if you don't pay fealty to the cult. Yeah, very interesting. Well, speaking of punishment beatings, the other story very much related was Jamie Foxx. So Jamie Foxx recently came back from near death's door. He came back famously, he was cloned um, or he just lost some weight and got a bit paler because he nearly died. Although an actual doctor did say to me, if you looked at something on his face, it was indicative that he may have had a stroke. It's something to do with something next to the nose was different or something. That was a slightly more credible take that actually he may have had a stroke, whereas the less credible take was he's been cloned. But the point is, Jamie Foxx came back from the brink and he put a, a post up about that. But then later he put a post up, unrelated presumably, but just saying, they killed this dude named Jesus. What do you think they'll do to you? Hashtag fake friends, hashtag fake love. Now, I took this like any ordinary person as a fairly generic statement of like, you hear it all the time. You're like, and actually, I spoke to Winston Marshall about this on my other podcast, The Current Thing, that if you are a Christian, you do use the guide of Christ and you do think if, you, if you're being canceled or whatever's happened to you, you think, well, hang on, think about what Jesus went through. It's always there as the, the, worst, the worst possible thing happening to the best possible person is always there as a guiding example. But and another way it's used very colloquially is like, yeah, they did this to Jesus. You know, it, it can remind you, you go, oh, yeah, fair enough. What I'm going through is either not that bad or, of course, it's happening. So that's all he's saying. He's saying hashtag fake friends. He's talking about betrayal and saying, look, if they betray Jesus, what are they going to do to Jamie Foxx? Now, he then had to come out with this apology because apparently it was anti-Semitic, which I didn't even think of at all. He said, I want to apologize to the Jewish community and everyone who was offended by my post. I now know my choice of words have caused offense, grammatically poor, and I'm sorry. That was never my intent. To clarify, I was betrayed by a fake friend, which was in there anyway, and that's what I meant with they, not anything more. I only have love in my heart for everyone. I love and support the Jewish community. My deepest apologies to anyone who was offended. Nothing but love always. Jamie Foxx with a heart. Very, very love-based post. Now, this annoyed me because maybe some Jewish people will say that there is a trope of saying they killed Jesus, meaning the Jews, but clearly Jamie Foxx didn't mean that at all. So doesn't this actually just make the people attacking him look bad, Toby, and puts them on the side of council culture? Yeah. Um, no, I disagree with you. I think... Um, I think I can't believe he was so naive that he didn't he didn't mean the Jews by they. If you say they killed this dude named Jesus, what do you think they'll do to you? Fake friends, fake love. I mean, it it, it seems to me that 
who else is he talking about if he's not talking about the Jews? Who are they in that sentence if it's not the Jews? And it's it's a familiar trope, you know, one of the kind of linchpins of anti-Semitism is pointing out that uh, the Jews killed Jesus. Um, uh, you know, that, that's the blood libel. That's the kind of most anti-Semitic thing you can possibly say. Um, uh, so um, if he's claiming he was unaware well, of that, and by they, he just meant the fake friend who'd betrayed him, it seems like a pretty implausible um, reverse ferret to me. Um, but, I you know, maybe he is that naive plausible. because... Do you? I, uh, to me, Yeah, that's, because I'm um, that naive. So perhaps that's the thing. I'm that naive that I literally read it and didn't think at all of the Jews. I 100% can say, hand on heart, that I didn't think at all of the Jews. I thought of they meaning people being dicks who betray you because this is one... Think about this. The, the individual is the ultimate victim group, as many people have pointed out. And to be an individual in the world, in an office environment, in the show business particularly, is incredibly, is frustrating and you're constantly betrayed. So when people say they, they often just mean they, as in the mass of people who are not you, the individual. When you say, or when you say, let's say, they're going to introduce cashless society. In that case, you kind of, you don't mean the Jews either. You mean the establishment or whoever it is that runs things, the globalists. And when you say they, in this context, you just mean, as you said, hashtag fake friends. Now, the only argument I can think of is that he should have been aware of the well-known trope but to me, that's a pretty thin and unfair argument because he obviously wasn't aware of it. And I didn't even think of it reading it. And I'm in the culture war and stuff, but I'm not obsessed with anti-Semitism. So I didn't think of it. So I, I don't see what's wrong with that as an explanation. I, to- I 100% believe him. I just don't, I don't like the apology for that reason, that he didn't mean it. And why do you have to put these groveling apologies to the an overzealous elements of the Jewish community? But if you look at his, um, his excuse, he says... Um, to clarify, I was, bet- for, I was betrayed by a fake friend, and that's what I meant with they, not anything more. So when he said yeah. they killed this dude named Jesus, does he mean his fake friend who betrayed him killed Jesus? No, that's totally implausible. People. He means people who people are people like his fault. fake friend. But that, that wasn't yeah. his explanation. His explanation was, that's what I meant by they. I was betrayed by a fake friend. I don't know. Yeah, um, you're in showbiz, right? It's full of fakes and phonies, and you're saying, well, then again, they killed, they killed Jesus. What Meaning humans. He, Jesus was sent to earth, and humans killed him because we're so gross and fallen. That's what he means. And here's an, here's an argument, Toby, that's cast iron. You won't be able to refute this. Jamie Foxx comes back from near death. He doesn't mention what killed him or what nearly killed him, and everyone thinks it's the vax, but he won't mention it, right, because he's so concerned about his career that he can be nearly be killed by a buy a vaccine and not mention it. And if it wasn't that, what was it, Jamie? He's never said what actually put him on life support. So he comes back, right? He's, he comes back from that, doesn't want to mention that because he's so careful about his career, comes back from nearly dying. Then what does he do? He says, I know, I've survived now. Here's what I'm going to do. Tank my career completely by attacking people who are pretty well represented in Hollywood and in my industry. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to attack them all with an anti-Semitic trope and destroy my career after nearly dying, even though I won't even mention the thing that nearly killed me because I'm so careful about my career. It's just implausible. Well, two things. First of all, um, that, that presupposes that the vax is what incapacitated him. In fact, it may just be that he's had a stroke. And the reason he doesn't want to mention that is because he thinks it might diminish him in the eyes of casting directors, future directors. Um, secondly, um, you say, well, you know, he couldn't possibly be so naive as to say something anti-Semitic 
given the damage that will do to his career in show business. But you're also arguing that he is naive enough not to be familiar with the blood libel or the way in which that statement could be construed as a reference to the blood libel. And that, that you can't have it both ways. Either he's naive or he's not. But I don't think he can be naive in one respect, but not in another. Well, let me think about it. Hang on. How is he naive in one respect, but not in another? Hmm. You're, saying, you're saying it would have been naive of him to say something he knew was anti-Semitic, given the damage that would do to his career. It would have um, been crazy, but, not naive. Um, it would have just been sort of reckless and insane. But he's not oh, reckless okay. and insane. He's very cautious about his career. But he's not cautious. He can't be cautious about tropes that he's unaware of. So, But he can be... He, he, it's very simple. Here's what's happened. He, he's had a, here's, here's the narrative. He's, he's, okay, he's had a vaccine injury or not. He's, he's gone on live support. He's come back. He's done a little video. And then he's put out a thing about fake friends because fake friends are annoying and they betray you. That's it. That's all that's happened. Where in that? But in your, let's see what's happened in your world. In your world, he's there. He's just at home one day and he thinks, I know, I'll have a pop at the Jews, <laughs> which seems like wildly unlikely. And I just want to destroy my career by having a pop at Jewish people. Or he's unaware well, he wouldn't, of he wouldn't it. Be the, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be the first person with a successful career in show business to uh, damage their careers by saying something anti-Semitic. Um, uh, you know, he might have been drunk. He might have been, um, he might have taken too many um, painkillers to deal with whatever his ailment is. Um, it's perfectly possible, you know. I mean, look at, look at um, Kanye. I mean, he, okay, he is crazy. Um, and we don't know that Jamie Foxx is, but, you know, I... I I think you're you're being very generous, and I wanted to say make another it's point being about realistic. this. But it, 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 it was it was I thought it was it was um, revealing that he had apologized for that comment. You know, desperately rode back from it, lest it damage his career. But was was stood by his other controversial comment last week, which is he said on Saturday Night Live, uh, one of the great things about being in They Clone Tyrone is that the character he plays gets to kill all the white people. Um, which you would have thought was, you know, um, uh, that's just straightforwardly racist. Um, uh, you know, why would you revel in killing people based on their skin color? Um, uh, unless, you know, you are borderline racist. Um, uh, you know, imagine a white actor bragging about the fact that one of the great things about being in the film they've just released is they got to kill all the black people. Inconceivable. Um, but he didn't apologize for that. He stood by it. He defended those comments. Um, yeah, uh, well, so- I can answer that as well. That was a, wasn't that, and I thought it was in relation to Django. I thought it was an old clip in relation to Django, but that doesn't particularly matter. That's irrelevant. It's a okay. joke he made. It, the thing about that is I'm not defending it because I hate that kind of thing. I hate the way that you're, you're okay to just attack white people. But it was, wasn't it either on SNL or one of those type of things? It was got a SNL. Laugh oh, it. you're right. You're right. Yeah, it was. It was SNL. It was about Django Unchained. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched the clip, yeah. And it, you could tell because it's from a while ago. He said, don't worry, I get to kill all the white people. Now, it's a joke. I don't particularly like the joke um, because it's my people that are being killed in it. But he is talking about it in the context of a movie about slavery where we're to understand, therefore, that the white people are the baddies. And he okay. says, don't worry, I rise up and kill them all. And actually, if you watch the movie, he does do that and we enjoy the movie. So that suggests that we're actually okay with him killing the white people in that context. And he's only joking about it in that context. And it's a joke and it's on a stage as a comedian. So, so I actually am totally, I wouldn't say totally fine with it because I don't love that kind of rhetoric about killing white people, but I'm semi-fine with that because it's a, it's a joke in, with a lot of context. Uh, whereas I can 100% believe this other thing, which you don't, maybe because you're more sensitive to anti-Semitism because of your family stuff you talked about before, but I just look at it as someone who didn't get the reference myself, and uh, you know, so maybe I'm just dumb. But then, yes, later I go, yeah, okay, that, that trope does exist and Mel Gibson's been attacked for it. 
But when Jamie Foxx said it, I literally did, did just think he meant they, meaning fallen, betraying people, killed Jesus. And one thing we can agree on, by the way, is that his behavior in backing down, well, maybe we can agree, was incredibly unchristlike. It was far more, was far closer to Peter denying Jesus three times before the cock crowed. He immediately capitulated and backed down, which is not something Jesus would have done. Therefore, he, I lost respect for him invoking Jesus because I'm like, your behavior is so unchristlike and weak. But I don't know. Any further comments, Toby? I don't think any, any further comment. I mean, I, I'm not sure he had a, an enormous amount of respect for him in the first place. But um, about the I did as an actor. I, I think he's a brilliant actor and, and genius I, uh, actor and singer. Incredibly talented person. I, I did enjoy um, uh, They Cloned Tyrone, incidentally. Have you seen that yet? No, I haven't. But, it um, has got a kind of anti-white kind of um, black power, Black Panther message running through it. But nonetheless, it is quite entertaining. I just think Jamie Foxx, it's a pity that he's, one, won't admit the vax may have injured him, and two, has attacked, well, has capitulated on this apology, and three, has attacked white people, yeah, even if it was a joke. It's not great. He is incredibly talented. Collateral is one of my favorite films. Django's good. He's incredible in Ray, with playing Ray Charles. He's underrated as a, you know, he can sing, he can rap, he can act. He's, he's an underrated, basically multi-talented genius, but in a bit of trouble now. Yeah, I know, we disagree on that anyway. I think the listener will be on my side because I just, I just don't think it was anti-Semitic. <laughs> I'm just guessing. They might not be because I didn't follow totally logic of some of your argument. They might be at home screaming, saying I'm thick. But I just, um, I just, the fact that, you know, I didn't even think it was. Anyway, maybe Jewish people will disagree with me. Don't write in. I was going to say write in, but actually don't. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> all right. While we're over across the pond, we don't have an across the pond jingle yet, so it's not an official section. But while we're across the pond, should we talk about Trump's indictment? So I haven't actually followed it honestly that much because he's been indicted again but it's not the first time as we know it is going to be you know it's this guy jack smith and they're talking about the fact that he created an, an intense national atmosphere of mistrust and anger eroding public faith in the administration of the election after he lost to joe biden i thought scott adams had the most interesting take on this if i can just locate it i've got a link to it it's quite long but um scott adams was talking about the uh, the election Narrative. So the idea is that Trump has undermined faith in the election. And Adams points out that he says the most entertaining and therefore most likely question mark, invoking Musk's version of Occam's razor there, outcome of the Trump indictments would be putting the American election process on trial and showing the country we don't have a reliable system for knowing who won any election. How hard would it be to convince one or more jurors an election might have been rigged? I could convince all 12 in five minutes. and I wouldn't need any charts or data to do it. Don't believe me, I'll demonstrate here. Fact, any system with lots of participants, complexity, and high stakes will become corrupt over time. This is true of every observed human-made system since the beginning of recorded history. The only mystery is when the corruption happens. For example, we know Congress is influenced by the military-industrial complex, and we know that financial markets are increasingly rigged for the big players. Anyway, he goes on and on, and he, he just talks about how elections by their nature, like any system, must be corruptible. So, and the fact that they could easily prove this in a court of law. Any comment on that, Toby? Yeah, well, I've, I've actually started reading this book by Mark Bowden, an American um, investigative reporter who wrote um, Black Hawk Down, which is a fantastic book, probably one of the best pieces of kind of sustained reportage I think I've ever read. Um, uh, and he, 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 he's co-authored a book called The Steel, in which he forensically investigates um, the accusation that um, the 2020 presidential election was stolen 
by the Democrats from Trump. Um, and I'm, I'm only a little way in, but um, so far it's quite persuasive. Um, one of his arguments is that um, long before the 2020 election result, Trump was kind of priming the pump, um, telling people he suspected they were going to try and steal the election from him, telling them that he was going to object and he was going to kick up a stink. He wasn't going to accept the result. He was going to encourage people to invigilate it and so on and so forth. He he, he very much planted the idea in the supporters of his heads, uh, in, in his supporters' heads, that the election was, that there was a plan afoot to steal the election. Um, uh, and that's exactly the playbook he followed when he lost. Um, uh, but one of the, one of the um, difficulties, I think, in in um, adjudicating this this debate is that the American electoral system is very decentralized. Um, it depends upon lots of, you know, people in small towns, for the most part, volunteers rather than officials um, uh, running elections and overseeing the integrity of the process. Now, um, that makes it, you know, of course, some of them are going to make mistakes um, uh, because they're amateurs, they're volunteers, and there's a huge number of them. Um, so um, it's going to be easy if you want to point to, you know, supposed evidence of malfeasance to do so, because there's always going to be a plethora of mistakes. But also the fact that it is decentralized makes it very hard to rig in any kind of systematic top-down way. Um, so um, as I say, I, I, I bought this book so I could be better armed in my arguments with you and James Dellingpole, both of whom seem to subscribe to The Steel. Uh, but I'm only midway through. So let's revisit this perhaps next week when I've got a little further along. Well, I, I'm always I'm open to things. I mean, one thing I'm always open to as a, as a moderate that I am is that the election circumstances were very strange because of COVID. So there was a suddenly these mail-in ballots that made a huge difference. And there were things like, I've mentioned this before, Victor Davis Hansen says, ballots that would normally be ruled out were suddenly all accepted, where you, you messed up your signature or you didn't have a signature and all these kind of things. Normally they'd be ruled out. He said that made a significant impact. Then there was ballot harvesting, which you, know, you, you, you gather up loads of people's ballots for them and so on. And there's all these realm of uh, sort of quasi-legit, quasi election techniques that the Republicans just have to get wise to because, you know, if, if the other side is going to ballot harvest, then they have to ballot harvest. But it's not necessarily the same as being rigged. It's just sort of questionable techniques. But yeah, I think if you look at Arizona, Rogan talked about it the other day, Carrie Lake, I think there are loads of question marks. I think you, you just look at the idea that Biden got more votes than Obama and all this kind of thing. Yeah, I think it is very, very questionable, but I don't have, it's a hard thing to prove, especially without reading lots of big books you say, but no one's managed to prove it. But I think Scott Adams makes a compelling case that it's certainly plausible that the election wasn't perfect it's certainly not worth indicting a president over i would argue but that's a big question i mean do you think he should be indicted is it even a smart tactic it's bad for trump because he could end up in prison but imagine in the in the in the sweep of history this idea that a president went to prison and maybe he still won from prison which would be amazing mm. or maybe he didn't but it's it certainly puts him as a sort of martyr and a kind of if you look back in history won't he be seen as this kind of mistreated hero by a corrupt uh, party that tried to silence their opposition. Yes. I mean, I think, um, I, I, I definitely think that the um, prosecution of Trump um, is politically motivated um, because if they were just, you know, 
good citizens wanting to protect the integrity of the American electoral system and restore public trust in that system, um, then indicting and impeaching Trump is not the way to go about it because people who voted for him will just think it's all part of the conspiracy to deprive him of his rightful victory and to stop him running again. Um, I mean, I guess, and it looks now as though, you know, it's just, his candidacy is just unstoppable. Um, It's inevitable he'll be the candidate, even if he has to, even if he goes to prison, which I think is pretty unlikely. Um, But he's been impeached twice now, um, um, indicted three times. Um, You know, if he's convicted of a crime um, and ends up having to do jail time, I don't suppose that'll make any more difference than any of these other things have. And he'll still run, he'll still be the candidate. But um, I think the why it's quite dangerous um, is that um, I do think he'll lose. I think it's a runoff against him or Biden or him or uh, you know, Gavin Newsom. I think I think he'll he'll lose, and I think he'll lose fair and square. But his supporters will, of course, just take that as yet more evidence that he's been the victim of a conspiracy to keep him out of office in the teeth of the will of the American public. Um, so, what will happen after? the next presidential election, if Trump loses again uh, and he's in prison, um, you know, it may make what happened on January 6th, 2021, like, you know, uh, a rehearsal. Maybe, yeah. I mean, you can see why people would be angry. I don't think Newsom would easily beat him or anything like that. I mean, Newsom was awful during lockdowns. I think a lot of people might quietly look at what's happening to Trump, say, I don't really like this treatment. I hate Newsom. And lots of people even pretend to support lockdowns, don't actually like being locked down. They don't like the hypocrisy of people like Newsom. And and they pretty much everyone thinks Biden's rubbish if you look at polling, even on the Democrat side. I think they both lose to Trump personally. But yeah, it's going to be very hard to uh, know what if it was legitimate. Yeah, I mean, I guess that that poses another interesting question. Let's suppose Trump goes to jail before November 5th um, of um, next year and, um, uh, and wins the election and he's still in jail and he's still going to be in jail for the handover, you know, and won't be able to take up office in January, 2025. Um, what happens then? You know, are his supporters going to sort of break him out of jail and kind of carry him on their shoulders into the white house. Well, if he wins, he can pardon himself. Can't he? That's the key thing. He has to win so he can pardon himself. But are you saying it, that might take a while? So in that actual moment, he would still be in jail. Yeah, I suppose he, he could. I mean, I, I think he'd have to um, be sworn in as president um, before he can pardon himself. Um, so there would be an interim period, yeah, in which he was still in jail. And so he'd be sworn in, in States. jail. I mean, how amazing would that be? Just so wild. Yeah. And then his first act would be to pardon himself. In his himself. orange jumpsuit, getting sworn in. Yeah, I vowed to be, take vengeance be, on my enemies. <laughs> <laughs> my first act as president is to pardon myself. <laughs> yeah. I'll pardon myself, then I will destroy the Democrats and the deep state. That'll be so I'm amazing. I'm coming this for you. This is what we want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a movie. Total victory. It's the world's greatest democracy. It will be a catastrophe. Anyway. Well, yeah, they've caused it, haven't they? The Democrats have caused this. I mean, with their just pathetic attempt to destroy Trump. <laughs> I think they're wholly responsible. And I think, well, you know what I think. January 6th, nonsense. Yeah, everyone knows what I think. Um, but hey, it's not like I think Trump's perfect. We all know he was far too pro-vaccine. He was weak. He was with his choices. He didn't understand the deep state. He hired all the wrong people. His communication, while sort of entertaining, is often you know frustratingly unclear. 
you know, DeSantis, yeah, he's better at policy and all these kind of things. Unfortunately, he's just a total nerd who doesn't capture the public imagination. We know Trump's very flawed, but certainly the way he's been treated is appalling. It's appalling for America and the world. And um, yeah, sad, as Trump would say. Do you want to get on to uh, Megan Rapinoe while we're across the pond? Yeah. And well, we're Trump had a pop at Rapinoe. Yeah. 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 So, so just for a bit of context, Megan Rapinoe, the evil footballer, missed a penalty and she missed it so badly, it went right up into the air and hit Joe Biden in the head and knocked him over. If you've watched the video, there's some yeah. brilliant memes going around. And um, yeah. Rapinoe, just to recall, if you're not familiar with her, she's the person that she's pro-transing kids. She's, uh, she signed a ball famously for a young kid and just handed it to him without looking at him. So she's evil. And she's, she's a person who, when she won the World Cup, said, I deserve this. So she's an ultra obnoxious, arrogant, woke person who everyone hates. And there's all these highlights of her just missing easy shots. There's a lot of people suspecting now she's actually not very good at football either, but she's just picked for social justice reasons. She's never she's never stood to an entire national anthem. There's nothing she won't kneel for, and she's just an appalling person. So everyone was very happy that she missed this penalty, Toby. Yeah, no, she. I, I, I've just written about this episode for my Spectator column. Um, quite dangerous, actually, because um, if you'll recall in... Um, uh, Sadiq Khan's mate campaign in which, um, you know, the centerpiece was this video and you had to kind of stop the video uh, and in that way call out one of the uh, misogynistic young men when they'd said something misogynistic. And, um, and, right. and, and the conversation was about, you know, women's football. Um, and, 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 and at one point, the, um, the most toxic of the young men, possibly the only really toxic young man in the video, um, uh, he describes the Euros, the women's Euros, as a joke. But actually, you know, um, I think it's fair to describe um, Megan Rapinoe's penalty kick uh, in the penalty shootout with Sweden, what, last Sunday, as a bit of a joke. And before you accuse me, and I'm sure you wouldn't, of using problematic language, she herself described the shot as a sick joke, a sick, sick joke. She said, I never hit it over the bar. When I miss, my penalties are saved. Um, uh, but, um, uh, yeah. So she does miss, it, it, but she misses differently. She does, she, she differently. Um, but yeah, you, you, you left out the fact that she was the first white athlete to take the knee in 2016. And that was, um, before, um, a U.S. national women's football team game against, uh, Thailand. And indeed she, um, has always refused to sing the national anthem and refused to sing the national anthem before the game against Sweden, where, the USA were knocked out. Um, yeah, she, she's, uh, I think she's, she, she's clearly, uh, uh, and she's, she's often kind of um, attacked Trump, which is one of the reasons he reveled in her miss. But I think one of the reasons which makes it such kind of so poetic is that um, the US football team, the women's football team, brought a class action suit against what the US Soccer Federation um, uh, because the women's team were paid less than the men's team. And she, in particular, drove this uh, lawsuit and turned the American women's football team into a kind of symbol of um, equal pay. And last year, that suit was settled and the U.S. Soccer Federation more or less acceded to all the demands of the U.S. women's football team. And now, you know, in the future, they're going to be paid the same as the Americans. Um, And um, I sort of get into this argument a bit in my spectator column and talk about, you know, it, 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 part of Megan Rapinoe's argument is that the 
women's team have won the World Cup four times, whereas the men's US soccer team have never won it, and therefore they should be paid the same. It's just that, but you know, uh, that's not how the labor market works. You know, uh, it's not about dessert. If it was about how much you deserve to be paid, then nurses would be paid more than doctors. But that would be a woefully inefficient way of organizing a labor market and would soon lead to massive shortages in highly skilled professions. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, one of the facts of life is that broadcasters are prepared to pay a lot more for the rights to men's football than they are for the rights to women's football. And that's partly because men are just so much more able when it comes to football than women. And that point was nicely proven by FC Dallas's under 15 squad, which beat the American US women's first team 5-2 in 2017 in a friendly. Um, anyway, um, so it, it did to, to me, it was like her miss um, was like a giant raspberry blown in the face of all those people who are telling people like you and I that we should enjoy women's football, that there's no difference between men and women's football. The only possible reason we aren't as enthusiastic about it and don't, you know, turn it into appointment TV and sit there with our mates drinking Bud Light as we watch this marvellous athletic tournament. The only possible explanation is that we are misogynists. And this actually, this, 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 uh, an example of this was a poster I saw when I was uh, uh, driving back from lunch today um, just outside Westfield. Massive poster, big picture of a female footballer. And the caption is, over 50% of girls stop playing sports as teenagers. Don't let hate be the reason why. Again, you know, it's like uh, if, if you've got, if, if you in any way denigrate, if you say anything even mildly critical about women's football, then you are being hateful. You're a misogynist. You're only, the only explanation is that you're a male chauvinist pig. Whereas, you know, it was blatantly clear watching her penalty kick. It was the last penalty. She basically handed the win to Sweden with her ridiculous horlicks of a shot, which sent the ball sailing over the bar and over the horizon. You know, it was like kind of, you know, how can you be the emblem of equal pay in soccer? You know, how can you be a standard bearer for equality, women's equality, and make such a complete horlicks of a penalty shot at such a critical point in the game? Yes, I thought it was obviously very funny. Yeah, and um, I point out in my Daily Skeptic piece, Toby, a while ago that um, it may not even be legal in, in Khan's London to have that opinion. It wasn't clear from the mate yeah. campaign because and, and, he's trying to make misogyny illegal all the time, isn't he? It's like, is it even legal now yeah. to not like women's football? Last night on GB News, uh, the women's football was on the front covers and Josh says to me, oh, you're, you're into football, aren't you, Nick? And I said, what's that got to do with this? Just that comment alone, <laughs> funny as it was, probably would get me put in jail in, in, soon in Khan's London because we, yeah, we're, we're told we have to like it. Very, very strange. I know. I think I said this before on the podcast. I noticed it in my own football team when I just said, yeah, but the keepers are rubbish. And then people turned to me and someone in the team said, oh, Nick, you, you're way behind on that now. No, they're, they're really good now. You're not seeing. It's like, and it's, it was almost identical it to the like main Sounds like the ad. Yeah, it was, it was almost identical. Exactly. It, it happened. Because <laughs> in the ad, they go, have you not seen it? It's, like, it's actually pretty decent now. Yeah, it's pretty decent. They all say, it's pretty decent. Yeah. Like, what they say? Pretty yeah, decent. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're supposed pretty to decent. say, yeah. it is pretty yeah. decent. It's like, yeah. it's like I yeah. actually lived that ad months before it happened. It was so <laughs> weird. Because you, when, you, when, you, when you walk amongst normies, this is how they think, Toby. The, the thing that really annoys me is not when women, you know, chastise men for not being more enthusiastic about women's Southern soccer. men, white knights. Uh, it's when, it's when, yeah. It, and it, for people like Sadiq Khan, Gary Lineker, it, it's not about the principle. You know, their commitment to women's equality is 
paper thin. It's all about differentiating themselves from, you know, less educated, less enlightened men. It's a way of asserting their class superiority. I say in my, my spectator piece, actually, the button you have to press in the ad in Sadiq Khan's campaign shouldn't have mate on it. It should have steady on, old chap. It should be something that conveys the class privilege of those calling out the people lower down the kind of food chain than them. Yeah, although ever since sort of Blur, the, the uh, posh people have spoken in this kind of pseudo, That's true. was mocking, yeah. he wasn't there, and they do say things like, mate, mate, yeah. but they're actually posh. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, oh, it's so annoying. I know, and I, I just have to not like it. But like you say, it's not women. Women don't even watch it, basically. Women are still... That's the big thing about women's football is women aren't really going to watch it. So actually men that are going to have to watch it, it's going to survive. So it's men that police other men and tell them they have to watch it. It's so weird. And it might be okay. I don't know. I'm never going to watch it now on principle because I hate these people. Not the women in the team. <laughs> well, it's I, just- I don't hate the women. I hate rapping, though, but I don't really hate the women footballers. I hate, like you say, the men and the culture telling me I have to like it. I remember hearing this phrase once, which, which resonated with me, which is that duty is the enemy of friendship. So once you start regarding your friends as, you know, once you, once you, once you think of it as your duty to kind of spend time with them, to return their emails, to, to remain friends, then that is really the death of friendship. It's when it becomes a burden, when it ceases to be pleasurable. Um, ditto with pleasure more widely. You know, we're basically being told that we ought to enjoy something. You know, we have a duty, a moral duty, because we want to encourage young girls to take up sport. Um, we want women to be paid the same as men. Uh, we want to eliminate misogyny. So we have a moral obligation to enjoy women's football. I don't think they just, they don't want us to kind of sit there with gritted teeth, kind of our eyelids pinned open, watching it, and then strings operating our arms to kind of cheer whenever they score a goal. They want us to actually enjoy it. And, and you, know, you can't be told, you can't be told that you have a moral obligation to get pleasure out of something. It just doesn't make sense, but it is kind of absolutely symptomatic of the kind of soft totalitarian society we're living in. Absolutely, yeah. It's a, it's a bit like the clapping for Stalin the longest, isn't it? It's like, you, who can like women's football the most? Enforced enjoyment. Yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. And uh, down with women. Um, no, sorry, that's not what I meant. That's undermined my whole argument. Um, right at the end. <laughs> you, wanted to call, um, you wanted to call this section Misogyny Corner, didn't you? And I advised against yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> I did, but I thought it'd be funny and ironic because I had a few other similar topics. And I thought, let's go to Misogyny Corner. Actually, if you own it, My worry is that there'll be no way of embedding the irony in the title. And it, would e- it could easily be used by people who want to cancel this podcast or persuade what few advertisers we can get to sponsor it, not to sponsor for it any longer you know coupled with your defense of andrew tate i think it could be the death of us but i've already thought it through further than that toby and i've pictured when they cancel us and they go they even have a section called misogyny corner i'm already picturing all the people on our side or in the middle sharing that and going lol that's hilarious i can't wait to listen to misogyny corner and i can just picture because <laughs> that's so funny when the mainstream press quotes that like po-faced they even have a section called misogyny corner and then they ask me about it and i go that's funny, guys. I, mean, I, I just think I win. I win that no, I, Newsnight I, interview. You see, I, <laughs> when I was cancelled back in 2018, hate to keep harping back to this, but um, yeah. Don't you know it, when I tried to defend things I'd said, as guys, it was ironic. I was joking. Yeah, I was kidding on the square. I was only being half serious. That just doesn't cut the mustard. 
maybe because you're a serious journalist, whereas I've got 11 years of comedy I can point to. I was on Britain's Got Talent. And I'm not saying it'll necessarily help me, but they might say, look, he's a comedian. Misogyny Corner is hilarious. I can see the defenses. I can, I'm picturing the defending me tweets already. But okay. you, anyway, we didn't call it Misogyny Corner. We just covered it as a serious story where we were seriously misogynist instead in a very serious way, which you're maintaining is better. I can, I can just hear Caitlin Moran now. Do you hang out with your buddy Andrew Tate on Misogyny Corner? Is there a shop on that corner that sells guns and hockey masks? Um, yeah, yeah, you talk about just... breasts with disgraced journalist Toby Young, because it's <laughs> exactly what I'd expect from him. It's a next generation of toxic masculinity. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me at all that he's mates with Toby Young and Andrew Tate. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. It, it's true, it's true. And he thinks women shouldn't vote. Well, that's just normal. Anyway, um, speaking of this, irony, should we move on irony, to Paul? Caitlin, irony, irony guys, yeah. yeah, yeah, so much irony. Um, should we move on to um, our friend Mariana Spring, who uh, she uh, she had a piece in the Sunday Times. Poor old Mariana, and eighty uh, percent of online abuse received by BBC journalists is directed at one woman, the corporation's twenty-seven-year-old disinformation correspondent. That, every time that title it just strikes me as so sinister. Anyway. And in the piece, it said um, 80% of abuse, it repeats that fact. Then it says, it's the price of calling out conspiracy theorists, which I thought was so funny. It's pure Simpsons meme. It's like, almost everyone hates me. I wonder if it's because I use public money to defame ordinary citizens. No, it's the conspiracy theorists who are wrong. You know what I mean? If it's 80%, don't they start to have an argument? Now, I don't condone some of the, I'm just reading now some of the quotes from people. Uh, so someone called a leftist, disgusting, ugly dog. One person, oh, I've lost it. Now, hang on a sec. One person, let me just bring this back up. Oh, I've just lost it at the crucial time. These are, you think I'd remember writing these. Um, one, person said, <laughs> you're a, one person said, you're a mindless slug of greed that I hope publicly gets thrown under a moving bus, literally, literally or figuratively, just in case they didn't get in enough trouble there. They made it very clear. Um, so, yes, I don't necessarily approve of that, Toby, although mindless slug of greed was sort of quite an interesting turn of phrase. But obviously it's unpleasant to get abused. But Mariana, if you're getting 80% of abuse, isn't some of it because you've set up a disinformation unit, which is basically propaganda that attacks ordinary citizens. And as we've seen from the way she treated Carl Benjamin, factually inaccurate propaganda at that, Toby, which I suppose propaganda often yeah, is. Yeah, I, I think by reading out those examples of the online abuse she gets, I think you're you're playing... Um, you're, you're 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 doing her work for her. I mean, I think I'm the, being an objective journalist. No, I think I think the I think what really needs digging into here is how is she defining? How are the makers of this program defining online abuse? I mean, it would be one thing if it was emails like or, or, or tweets, posts like the ones you just read out. They sounded pretty abusive, but actually, I'm sure that um, it's being defined far more broadly and encompassing any criticism, however carefully worded, however reasonable, however evidence-based. If it's, if, it's, if it's in some way hostile or aggressive, um, then I imagine it, it's being classed as online abuse. But I bet the definition is extraordinarily capacious. Um, and um, it, it isn't, for the most part, what you or I would consider abuse. It's just people robustly disagreeing with her. Yeah, for it to be 80% of the comments, and, and exactly, it says here in the article, to be clear, her iPhone is full of screenshots of the worst examples. So, of course, there's going to be right. a few people who say mindless slug of greed, and a lot of it's just going to be you know, yeah, uh, having a you know, 
coming back at her about some of the facts, some of the misinformation, because we all know it's they spread misinformation. So yeah, I, I agree with you. There's no way 80% of comments are like that. There's obviously going to be a few nutters, and we don't, we don't, we don't condone that. I would never send that to a woman or anyone. But yeah, 80%. It's a bit suspicious when it's 80%, isn't it? And it's because people just are so sick of this. Everyone hates BBC Verify. It's absolute nonsense. Why do the BBC need a disinformation unit? It's it's Orwellian on the face of it. And and her piece on Totnes was riddled with inaccuracies about Carl Benjamin, just for starters. So, of course, people don't like it. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's it's uncanny how often the people who accuse others um, of trafficking in misinformation and disinformation themselves traffic in misinformation and disinformation, often when calling out those they're accusing of trafficking in misinformation and disinformation. I mean... You might as well call it doing a Fauci because he's now so notorious for doing precisely that. You know, he more or less conspired with some other senior scientists to brand the lab leak hypothesis a conspiracy theory and describe anyone who put it out there as trafficking in misinformation and disinformation. They also it was an attempt to kind of portray it as hate speech because it was supposedly motivated by anti-Chinese racism. Um, and you know, it turns out. It was actually probably true. Um, And his attempt to discredit it um, and the paper that he was involved in getting published in in the Lancet, which discredited the lab leak hypothesis, was in fact an example of a textbook example of misinformation. Um, uh, And she's just she's she's very much in the she is she's basically she could be she's basically the female Anthony Fauci. Uh, That's probably she probably classed that as abuse. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, poor old Mariana, um, hated by so many people, despite just being totally pure. Um, maybe that's enough on her. Maybe we should go to everyone's, well, it's not everyone's favorite section. It's our occasional section, perhaps to be renamed, which is Birdwatch. Now, for now, we only have a sting for Birdwatch, but you're suggesting changing it to the X-Files, Toby. And I guess we could do a kind of... <laughs> we could do that, couldn't we? We could, yeah. Who needs a musician? I'm, I'm still, we just do it ourselves. I'm in a little bit of a, yeah. I'm just in a little bit of denial about it being called X. I haven't updated my app, and I'm still on Twitter, and I, I'm still on old Tweetbox eight thousand, and I just don't really want to go over to X because I don't, I don't like change. But yeah, it is now called X. But anyway, on X slash Twitter slash Birdwatch slash X Files, we have Elon Musk who said, if you were unfairly treated by your employer due to posting or liking something on this platform, we will fund your legal bill, no limit. Please let us know. And he even followed up with a, a reply later to someone and said, and we won't just sue. It will be extremely loud and we will go after the boards of directors of the companies too. So this is huge news, Toby. And it's also quite funny that it comes on the back of this NASCAR guy getting cancelled. Now, actually, he got cancelled for liking something on Instagram, which was his mistake. You can only like things on X slash Twitter. But what was quite funny was he liked a if this is your sense of humor, he liked a meme of George Floyd as the crab from the little mermaid. And it says under the knee instead of the sea. And like, obviously dark humor, but it, what I'm saying is in principle, if you like that meme now on Twitter or any similar meme and got canceled by your employer, sacked, you can now get your legal bill paid by Elon Musk. Well, he's, it's fantastic news. Could be a game changer. And it's great to have, you know, the second richest man in the world and the owner of the most influential social media platform 
in our corner. I heard so he's back up to number one now, by the way. Is he back up to number that's one? Heard, Even better. Yeah. Um, but um, let, I think we, we have to kind of um, dig under the surface a little bit. Um, so first of all, um, if someone was fired for liking the post, the meme you just described, would Musk class that as being treated unfairly? by your employer? Maybe not. He's given himself a get out there by using the word unfairly. He's not saying in every case we'll come to your defense, regardless of what you've posted or liked. So that could fall foul of that standard. Um, But in addition, he hasn't said whether it just applies to X or whether it predates Twitter becoming X. Uh, And if it does predate it, does it predate it before he took over in or bought it in April 2022. I immediately replied probably too quickly to his tweet saying, um, you know, the free speech, if you want some help, you know, um, sifting through all the applications you're going to get for legal funding, the the free speech union stands ready to help. We have a lot of expertise in this area. We've been involved in several lawsuits in which we've defended people who've been treated unfairly by their employers for liking or tweeting things. Um, And um, I also pointed out that we were currently defending Gillian Phillip, um, a best-selling children's author who lost her job when she included the hashtag I stand with JK Rowling um, in her Twitter bio. Um, Would it cover that? Is it just posts and likes or does it include changing your Twitter bio? Um, And I guess the other question, the critical question is, is he only talking about the United States or does he mean it to apply all over the world? I mean, it it was a kind of a typically reckless kind of off-the-cuff thing for him to do. Um, so I think we do need a bit of clarification. We, we need to, you know, if he's going to see it through, he needs to, you know, he needs to put some parameters on what cases he's willing to fund, but potentially it's fantastic news. Yeah. He won't be the richest man in the world for very long. And he won't be the second <laughs> either. If, if he takes every single case like this, cause there are just so many, <laughs> but like you say, wiggle room there with the word unfairly. And that is an interesting debate. Noah Gregson suspended indefinitely from NASCAR for liking me mocking George Floyd. Is that, Unfair. This is what we have to ask. Is liking a meme of George Floyd as the crab from The Little Mermaid saying under Danny, under Danny, is that getting suspended indefinitely from your job for liking that? Is that unfair? I mean, that is the question, isn't it? Yeah, I think it probably is unfair. Um, uh, I say it is, yes. yeah. Uh, but 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 Trump. I mean, um, Trump. Musk might might argue that it's not. Um, I mean, I suppose one difficulty is he may have you know fired people from Tesla um, or PayPal back in the day for kind of similar thought crimes. So he's going to get into difficulty if he if he comes to the defence of people like him. Um, uh, I mean, another question is you know let's suppose it's in NASCAR's terms and conditions that you know. Anything you do that brings NASCARs into disrepute, um, including anything that could be construed as a breach of its equity, diversity, and inclusion policy, blah, 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 means we're going to terminate our relationship with you. Uh, in other words, if you didn't have any, if you didn't have a, a, a good case and it would be just completely pointless to sue them, um, would, 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 would Musk still fund the lawsuit? Presumably, he's only going to fund those lawsuits that have that the person stands some chance of winning and aren't just completely vexatious. Um, another caveat he needs to introduce. Yeah, so good news, but potentially tricky news for most, depending on how he applies it. All right, should we go over to Will now with our top stories of the week? So I'm here with Will Jones, the editor of The Daily Skeptic, to talk about the four biggest stories of the week. Though, Will, we should say that actually this week, um, 
Richard Eldred has been filling in for you because uh, he's our associate editor and you've been on the holiday. You've been camping in the rain rather miserably. Yep, camping through two storms. It was um, it was pretty wet and pretty windy, I have to say. So not the greatest week to be camping, but we were definitely were short of a bit of global warming in this country over the last uh, six weeks and certainly where, where I was last week. Yes, yes. And we're going to get on to that story, actually, what has been causing the um, unusually high temperatures, at least on the continent, in the month of July in a sec. But I thought we'd start with um, the uh, story that actually you wrote um, when you got back from holiday, which um, which is the story about the um, uh, laboratory at Porton Down, which incredibly um, uh, is actually making new COVID variants. Um, uh, and the idea is, well, you tell us what the idea is. Why on earth are they taking this risk, given what happened at the Wuhan Institute of Virology? Indeed, yeah. Will they ever learn? That's the question with this uh, this story. This is a revelation from uh, the the BBC, who have visited uh, the BBC's James Gallagher had, has visited the the secret uh, laboratory uh, at at Porton Down. Uh, he calls it one of the UK's most secretive centres of scientific research, which, according to Professor Dame Jenny Harris, is. Uh, who is the chief executive of the UK Health Security Agency, the UKHSA, is aiming to stop the next pandemic in its tracks or failing that, well, to try and stop it before it even begins or failing that to try and stop it in its tracks at its earliest stage. Sounds terrifying. And the way they're going to do that sounds uh, even more, or trying to do that, sounds even more terrifying. They are making new COVID variants in order to see how infectious they are. Now, the, the implication is that these new COVID variants they're making are just the ones that have already appeared. And they're just, but they do say they're growing them in the lab. And we know from revelations uh, from Project uh, Veritas, from Pfizer, from, uh, you might remember that from a few months ago, that they admitted that Pfizer, uh, the Pfizer employee, senior employee admitted that they were carrying out essentially a form of gain of a gain of function. They were growing COVID variants in the lab, but they were modifying them as well. They were trying to try and anticipate what nature might be doing. We know, so we know that's the kind of thing that uh, these these kinds of laboratories do uh, when they're trying to see uh, wh- whether vaccines and antibodies will work against new variants of COVID. So that we know that, that we know that they do that. It hasn't actually been confirmed, I should say, that a port that a port and down they're going to be doing that kind of work. But y- you have to imagine that it's that it's on that it's on the cards, really, don't you, Toby? Because because that is the kind of thing they get up to, and we know that's the kind of thing uh, that they love to do, and they do and they do elsewhere. And this laboratory is also linked; it's next door to a Ministry of Defence, so as a military a military laboratory. This, the Porton Down itself is not a military uh, laboratory, uh, but it's very close to being one. It's in the UK, it's part of the UK Health Security Agency, which was the, the very militaristic uh, renaming of the of Public Health England, uh, seeing that, that shift from public health, or, or rather that merging of public health with security, with security services from, with military. And uh, James Gallagher from the BBC makes a point of saying that the this new, that this laboratory, this new Porton Down laboratory, uh, is is neighbouring a uh, Ministry of Defence laboratory that that mention can't be accidental. So it's all sounding pretty. Um, it's all sounding pretty dubious from anyone who has been following the news in the last uh, three years about where this uh, where COVID uh, might have come from. They said they're trying to develop uh, vaccines uh, for any pot- any potential threat that might cause a problem: bird flu, new COVID variants, and disease X. 
which they call something unforeseen. In other words, the next what, what the virus that might cause the next pandemic. So it all sounds uh, pretty pretty worrying stuff. Yeah, there there ought to be a word there, to describe um, something the process whereby out of caution you try and create the thing that you're most frightened of um, in order to um, better prepare for this thing emerging from nature and in the course of preparing you unwittingly unleash the very thing that you're intending to safeguard against i mean it, it's it, it sounds yeah. like there should be a word for that and i'm sure it doesn't just apply in virology <laughs> absolutely there should be a word or or a greek a greek legend or fable shouldn't there there should be yeah. something in aesop about that kind of thing i'm sure maybe, maybe there already is so there probably we'll have is to, there probably we'll, is already we'll do, greek, we'll do a, a bit of a yeah. bit of digging and see if uh, if next week we can uh, uh, for next week we can find what that uh, what that fable or that word is. You're so terrified of a demon appearing that you conjure it up yourself and then have to fight it. There must be a Greek a Greek myth that that that, that applies. Self fulfilling prophecy is probably the is probably the closest. Yeah, it's like uh, yeah, self fulfilling um, safetyism. Um, So um, it leads quite neatly to the next story, uh, which wasn't one of yours, which was, according to a new government analysis, there's a one in four chance of another pandemic in the next five years. I mean, I don't suppose, do you think they factored in when making this calculation? Um, uh, One of the risks is that a virus will leak from, you know, Porton down. And, that, and that's one of the reasons there's a 25% chance that there will be another pandemic in the next five years. Presumably not. Anyway, do you want to talk a little bit about that one, Will? Yeah. So this absolutely incredible projections or calculations from the National Security Risk Assessment. Uh, sounds very grand. And they've weighed up almost 90 potential vulnerabilities uh, that uh, and this, uh, that, uh, that could be faced in the UK within the next five years. Um, and given a probability of each one happening. And I have to say the probabilities are not small for some pretty catastrophic events. Um, and one of them is an, another pandemic, that which they've given in the next five years. So by 2028, uh, they, they say that it's between 5 and 25%. That's a 1 in 20 or 1 in 4 chance of happening within the next five years. I mean, that is, a, I mean, t- to my mind, that is a pretty ludicrous estimate. If you actually look at the pandemics we've had, if you look at recent history, uh, the, the only the only pandemic that's of any real consequence for human mortality in the grand scheme of things, uh, obviously, there's all kinds of diseases that uh, kill um, some tiny proportion of the population um, each year, but that had an appreciable effect was back in way back in 1918 with the um, with a slightly mysterious uh, Spanish flu that the, that no one's entirely scientists aren't entirely sure why it was so so nasty. Uh, but since then, uh, although there have been about three or four things, events, uh, outbreaks that have been called a pandemic, I mean, none of them have killed an appreciable uh, proportion of the population. I mean, we're talking about 0.1% of the world population uh, for any any given any given one of them. So really, you know, so, so the word pandemic there being 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 stretched, uh, really, and um, and of course, COVID uh, fits into that stretched definition of the pandemic. The World Health Organization infamously redefining 
uh, a pandemic in 2009 after the uh, the swine flu uh, pandemic of that year turned out to not be at all deadly. But in order to save the, the use of the word pandemic for it, they just redefined pandemic so that no longer had to kill that many people and therefore managed to uh, smuggle that one in as a supposed pandemic as well. And then we've had COVID, which obviously did kill substantially more than uh, the swine flu, but still uh, not a huge proportion of the world population in any given year, you know, around about 0.1%. Uh, so still, uh, so still tiny. So we're still we're talking about tiny numbers. Uh, but this is uh, but this is a prediction that um, a supposedly another catastrophic uh, pandemic, supposedly like uh, like uh, COVID, uh, was, which we know it, it wasn't. It wasn't catastrophic, of course. What was catastrophic was the extraordinary response um, and draconian response that we've had, which threatens uh, which threatens our uh, our very way of life, of course. And and if not that, at least our current economic uh, prosperity, which is um, is seriously uh, struggling to get pull away and to rise from uh, f- rise from the problems of the of the pandemic years yeah and and um w- which i which is why this new register um identifying these risks to our national security is quite alarming because you know um once they've been identified um then you know what's to stop the government taking various steps to mitigate the likelihood of them materializing. And those steps will, just as the pandemic response was, be far worse than the risk actually materializing. We'll do far more harm um, to the economy, to ancient liberties, and so forth. And yeah, so it's deeply alarming that the Absolutely. government is making a re- keeping a register of these worst case scenarios. And you know, surely it's now going to tell us that we have to uh, curtail various liberties in order to mitigate the risk of these scenarios materializing. Anyway, um, let's go on to talk about our next story, which is um, the climate change story, which is uh, a story by Chris, our environment editor. Um, uh, and he, he he's pointed out that um, a massive water and cloud boost from the Tonga eruption could in fact explain the recent unusual weather. Do you want to tell us a bit about that, Will? Yeah, so this uh, was a bit of a revelation, this story uh, for me, and as I'm sure it was for uh, for many of our readers. This is the story that, uh, that back in uh, December, January 2021-2022, uh, so we're talking about uh, 18 months ago, there was a, a huge uh, underwater volcano eruption. The uh, You're going to have to help me with the pronunciation here, Toby. The Hunga Tonga Hunga Haepai uh, submarine volcano. Have I got that right? No idea. Uh, Had you heard of this uh, eruption? No, I hadn't. No, well, me neither. So apparently, in in, uh, geological terms, a hugely significant... Uh, event and this this volcanic eruption was off the scale in terms of how much hot water vapor it put into uh, into the atmosphere. They said that uh, they, the scientists say that volcanoes rarely inject much water into the stratosphere. Uh, in the eighteen years since NASA has been taking measurements, only two others produced appreciable amounts. But these, the scientists say, were said were were mere blips compared with this Tonga uh, volcano. The reason this is significant is because water vapor is is by far the most uh, the most significant uh, greenhouse uh, greenhouse gas. There's a hu- huge amount of water vapor in the atmosphere 
its effect on on the on the greenhouse effect and on the warming of the of the surface of the of the planet uh, is far more significant than the trace uh, atmospheric gas of carbon dioxide. We know that, of course, from our own experience, because we know that a cloudless night will be much um, all thing, other things being equal. A cloudless night will be much colder than a cloudy night because uh, the water, the presence of the clouds, which are water vapor, of course, are acting like a blanket, uh, trapping uh, trapping the heat. Um, in so that's just one example of the way that uh, water vapor has a has a has a big noticeable effect on um, on on the weather and and so and volcanoes huge volcanic eruptions like this are known scientifically to be uh, to be able to have uh, significant impacts on uh, on the weather in the sh- in the short term so this isn't just a matter of of what we're used to with uh, this idea of slightly increasing the amount of trace gas carbon dioxide supposedly having a long-term effect, um, subtly increasing the, the the temperature of the of the planet. No, no, no. This is uh, this is a, a much more noticeable uh, impact, um, and it shouldn't. It's not. It is not expected to be a long-term impact. Uh, but uh, but you know, for several years, uh, perhaps uh, scientists would expect that this could have um, noticeable effects on the weather. And so scientists have suggested that the the currently unexplained heat waves, uh, and in particular uh, the very warm seas uh, that we've that we've seen uh, in the last in the last few weeks, uh, could well be explained by the this presence of this of this warm. Uh, water vapor that was put into the atmosphere, and it was eighteen months ago. But these these things do have an effect uh, for some years, and uh, and take time to work through work through the system. So Cliff Mass, the professor of atmospheric science at the University of Washington, uh, said that there's a golden rule of weather extremes: is that the more extreme a climate or weather record is, then the greater the contribution of natural variability, which is uh, what we're talking about um, here, volcanoes, and the smaller the contribution of human-caused uh, global warming. The point is that when you have anomalous events like the heat wave that we saw in Europe and in parts of the US uh, in the last few weeks, then we should be looking scientifically for a, an explanation uh, that isn't a slight increase in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere along, in other words, a long-term trend, we should be looking for something uh, much more immediate. And this volcanic eruption may well be that. Okay. Um, Well, fascinating stuff. Um, Thank you very much, Will. Let's now go back to me and Nick. Okay, that was Will. Now, Toby, do you want to quickly do our advert for the week? Yes. So... um... This is an ad from one of our most loyal, if not actually our most loyal sponsor, um, the one and only Thor Holt. So, are you looking to level up your professional game? Meet Thor, the executive coach who's achieved remarkable results with his clients. Thor has huge energy and insight, says Miles Davies from Aberdeen. Thanks to Thor's support, Miles and his team secured their largest contract ever, a chunky £20.4 million deal. Thor's thought-provoking approach helped build Miles' confidence, and the learning experience was nothing short of exceptional. And working with Thor was also great fun, according to Miles. Christina Chase from MIT in Boston couldn't stop singing Thor's praises. The teams at MIT have been blown away by his coaching. They consider the time spent with Thor as, quote, some of the best time spent with any individual, unquote. Whether you're aiming for career advancement or you're a business owner seeking to enhance your leadership skills, Thor's coaching can unlock your potential. 
Don't miss out on this life-changing opportunity. Connect with Thor at linkedin.com slash in slash Thor Holt for more information on how he might help you. Or if you feel shy, tune into Thor's Hippie Hut coaching podcast on Spotify or iTunes and get ready for your own professional breakthrough. So you want to connect with Thor, that's linkedin.com slash in slash Thor Holt. If you want to listen to his podcast, it's called Thor's Hippie Hut and it's on Spotify or iTunes. Yeah, and Thor will also help people who are struggling if they've been cancelled or other things, mental health type things. He said to me after one episode, he would happily help me because I, and uh, I feel a bit better now, thanks Thor. But I was um, I was very miserable because I was ill and I was also just lost in health anxiety world and I was basically just in a complete spiral. But I feel a lot better now. I've been, um, but it's good that Thor is there to help. But I haven't actually called upon him this time because I've just instead I've been just reading my Bible. I'm reading the Bible from scratch, Toby. By the way, from I'm up to page eight. And uh, we've already had <laughs> the creation of everything, Adam and Eve, Noah, uh, the uh, Tower of Babel. That's all in eight pages. Can you believe it? Wow. Is it quite, so is I'm it quite reading small that. print? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm reading that from scratch. And I'm, uh, it's, that's actually that's reduced my anxiety a lot, actually, just focusing on that. And I'm listening to these uh, David Porson's Unlocking the Bible lectures, which were incredible. Everyone I've sent them to has loved them, uh, even even old Dellingpole. So, you know, it's... Uh, We've bonded over that. So, yeah, I, I definitely recommend to all listeners unlocking the Bible with, if they're Christians p- predominantly, with um, David Pawson. But anyway, thanks to Thor. Let's go to everyone's favorite section. It's Peak Woke. So, we've got some good Peak Wokes this week, Toby. Um, do, do I sound all right? I suddenly sound weird in my head. Do I sound all right? No, you sound fine. Okay. You sound a little just, uh, Yeah, it's that, isn't it? Um, it's, it's spiritual. Um, so, Let's do the first Pete Wilkes. I thought, which speaking of uh, Christianity, was an attack on Jesus from Porsche. So Porsche had this advert, and I think it's in Portugal, isn't it? I should have checked. And they raised no, no, Brazil, Brazil, is it? I think it's Brazil. Is it the famous what, statue? No, it's not Rio that one. Janeiro. Isn't it's not that one? Okay. No, there's a famous statue, of course, of Christ in Brazil, but this one is is uh, is the one in in Portugal, I believe. I should have checked this okay. before, shouldn't I? Because this is, this is appalling content. But uh, yeah, it's, anyway, they, they they erased Jesus. They airbrushed him out of the advert, which is, of course, a completely appalling and insane thing to do. It's in Lisbon, Portugal. There you go. I did hear, okay. never doubt me, Toby, I'm an esteemed, established journalist. So uh, it was inspired, though, to be fair, by the Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio. So there you go. We can both be a little bit right. Um that was a raise. Now, I saw one thing that said, oh, maybe they just don't like kitsch or maybe they think Jesus shouldn't be, you know, maybe that's like false icons because you shouldn't do that with Jesus, which is a very long stretch. Obviously, far more likely explanation is they were just being woke and woke now means hating Christianity. What do you think, Toby? Yeah, no, that was um, quite shocking and um, kind of cack-handed of Porsche or the ad company they hired because... Um, at least some of their customers must be Christians. And what could be more guaranteed to offend them than airbrushing a statue of Jesus out of the background in a Porsche ad? So very silly. I've got a few. I'm getting rid um, of my Porsche, Toby. I don't mind telling you. (laughs) I'm never going to buy one I will not drive drive my Porsche again. But if anyone's listening, (laughs) there is now a Porsche available if any Satanists want to pick it up. Yeah, it's actually um, a matchbox car, but 
let's just gloss over that fact. Um, so um, actually, am I doing now what I accuse my son sometimes of doing, which is someone tells a self, I start telling a self-deprecating joke and they kind of spell it, spell it out, thinking they're scoring a point when all they're doing is teasing out the subtext of what is the self-deprecating remark. So was I doing that there by saying you, you, it's you a matchbox car? You told me. I think, on it. I think yeah. you just about got away with saying that could have be a tag on, and adding to what I was doing. But the, the phenomenon you point out is completely correct. It's one I hate hate more than anything. You weren't quite doing it there. But when I make a self-deprecating joke, then someone doubles down sort of calling you crap. Yeah. I don't think you quite did it, but it can be it's, no. it can be one of the most annoying things in the world. It's like, I was already being self-deprecating, you scumbag, but you didn't quite yeah. You were close. Yeah, no, I didn't. The worst time that happened to me is when um, there was an urgent question in the House of Commons about my appointment to the Office for Students, tabled by the Labour Party and granted by John Burko. So they spent an hour, you know, talking about why I was such an unsuitable person to take up this august role as a non-executive director of this new regulator. And Dawn Butler um, uh, basically um, read out bits from How to Lose Friends and Alienate People, which is a self-deprecating memoir, um, read out all my most self-deprecating stories um, as if she had, you know, discovered them through her own sleuthing and just how bad can this book guy be? Look at these terrible things he did. And it was a textbook example of people using self-deprecating jokes you've made about yourself against you. Um, But yeah, that was having to listen to that in the house. I was listening to that in my office, I remember. And unable to respond and it was just that was painful um, oh, anyway. isn't, isn't that isn't that a key difference between left and right i was thinking this the other day like sometimes i think why are lefties saying that or why are they choosing that story and i don't i can't i've just realized i can't give the specific example without offending various people i don't want to offend but basically lefties want to look good and virtue signal whereas i noticed people like me almost want to deliberately make myself look bad and we find it funny and enjoyable <laughs> what's all that about yeah, and I call it vice signaling. It's right. the opposite of virtue signaling. And it's a way of trying to, you know, um, convey that you're human, you're flawed, and you're not one of those self-righteous people that looks down your nose as uh, those you consider your moral inferiors, all, all of which has kind of is laced with snobbery and kind of class contempt. Yeah, for me, it's, it's a way of kind of differentiating myself from the kind of prigs and the finger waggers um, and uh, and a way, I think, of trying to kind of expose them for the kind of hypocrites that they are. But often, you know, people don't hear, people on our side hear it that way. You know, they, 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 they can hear that register. But for people on the other side, they don't hear that register. They just think you're being honest about what a complete and utter reprehensible dirtbag you are. Yeah, yeah, because other people are just lying. And maybe you are being honest, but other people are just lying about how great they are. Yeah, I've never thought about it like that, Toby. I think you've explained it well. I do it instinctively, but I think that's a good explanation of it. Yeah, vice signaling, I think you're right. Anyway, um, so a couple more peak wokes. I'll, I'll rattle through two really quickly, and then I'll give you my main one. So, um, I mean, f- first of all, there was Matt Hancock um, uh, on TikTok um, singing uh, some of the lyrics to uh, the Ken song, I'm just Ken from Barbie. I think the verse he was singing was, um, uh, cause I'm just Ken anywhere else. I'd be a 10. Is it my destiny to live and die a life of blonde fragility? I'm just Ken where I see love. She sees a friend. What will it take for her to see the man behind the tan and fight for me? I think that was the verse he was doing. And, um, I think it does count as kind of wokery because he's clearly trying to 
um, uh, he's singing the song of a kind of beta male, um, a soy boy played by Ryan Gosling, admittedly, in the Barbie film. He's advertising the fact that he's seen Barbie, hoping for some woke points there. Uh, it's made clear that it was his daughter filming him on the beach. So he looks like, you know, a conscientious, loving dutiful father playing with his daughter letting it was almost as though he let her put it on tiktok for a laugh uh, so i think that counts as 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 egregious wokery um yeah but i don't quite two, count i don't quite yeah, accept Nick the O'Connor. um no i know i count it sorry i just don't quite accept the matt hancock's attempt to humanize himself because you know if you look at the things he's done it's like i'm just care I lock people in their homes and ruin nursing homes <laughs> policy, and I'm basically scum. I mean, it's he, too much of a scum. I don't, I, I don't know the melody because I haven't I really watched it, but um, it's presumably something like that. Is, is he really? Are we ready for a cuddly Matt Hancock, Toby? Hey, I'm just Ken. I, I lock people in their homes and I'm basically evil. But it, it does feel too soon. I mean, I think, um, though, having said that, I thought he's going on, I'm a celeb, so soon after, you know, um, being caught out breaking his own rules and snogging his advisor outside his office in spite of being a married man with two young children, et cetera, et cetera. I thought that was a bit soon. You know, he needed to kind of um, hunker down and lie doggo for a bit longer. Um, But actually, that did seem to work for him. Um, But then, you know, after rehabilitating himself, his reputation then, you know, his star then fell again when his WhatsApp messages were published and filleted by the Telegraph. Um, uh, but, you know, he, he clearly he's an impatient man and doesn't want to wait the kind of normal statutory two years before mounting a comeback. And I think he is going to be in Celebrity SAS. Um, or that's probably not the right name, but it's some program, I think, on the BBC in which, you know, celebs, quote unquote, have to do the SAS survival course. And, SAS you know, Who Dares Wins. It. SAS Who Dares Wins. That's I, mean, it. I think it, he's it's in on the... Channel I think 4, he's in and then that. it got booted. I mean, okay. Han, well, Ant Middleton, it's still on Channel 4, but Ant Middleton, who's the good one, he went over to Australia because he, he wasn't woke enough for them. So I stopped watching it after that. But um, yeah, if he is on that, yeah. I mean, I love the show. I used to, but um, interesting. Is it one of the few reality shows you'd actually do? No, I wouldn't necessarily do it because it's actually genuinely hard. It's really, really hard. Right. You know, you watch other reality shows. It, I mean, you watch it and you're just like, this is actually brutally difficult. And anyone who does do well on it, you do gain real respect for them because it, it does look incredibly hard because they're trying to put them through a real SAS training. And there's almost no way you can get through it fine because they'll just beast you anyway. They'll just make you do endless press-ups or carry someone really heavy until you collapse. So there's no real way of like sailing through it. Everyone will just be brutalized and you have to stay in a little, what really gets me is staying in the little hut with people. You have to go to the loo in front of everyone and like with like not barely any door and you have to eat rubbish and just live with people in squalor. I couldn't do it. I couldn't live with the people, Toby. Even if I could get through the push-ups, I couldn't live with the people. Mm. Right. So you've never seen it? Uh, no, um, okay. I think I've told you the story about when I tried to simulate the SAS survival course for the Mail on Sunday about 20, 25 years ago. Have I told you that story? No. So I, so um, uh, for a story, I, I, I think th- there was a show, maybe it was even this show, I don't know how old it is, or it was a similar show in which 
people had to kind of were put through their paces by these SAS PT instructors, and you had to kind of they had to kind of schlep across the Brecon beacons carrying a big bourbon on their back and the rest of it, uh, sleep under a you know bivouac um, in sub-zero temperatures. And so I decided to do this, but um, I did it on my own. I didn't have a camera crew with me. There was a cameraman, but he was absolutely in the distance, and he went and stayed in the hotel when I had to sleep under the stars. And it was pitch black, and I put up my 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 bivouac um and i had a kind of sleeping bag um but it was it was sub-zero and i was in my sleeping bag desperate for a pee thinking if i get out of my sleeping bag it's gonna be incredibly cold it's pitch black i'm gonna stumble around is it really worth it and i kind of i just i lasted for as long as i could and in the end you know i gave in got out of the sleeping bag went as went you know a few maybe 10 yards from where my campsite was. I didn't want to piss on my sleeping bag. Um, had a slash and I was in like my underpants and a, and a t-shirt and turned around. And because it was pitch black, um, I didn't have a torch. I couldn't find my, my camp, my campsite. You know, I just, I was blundering about and getting colder and colder <laughs> and uh, thinking, oh my God, you know, I'm going to be found dead of exposure in the morning in my underpants with my dick hanging out next to a pool of urine about five yards from a tent. And yeah, I'm going to win a Darwin award. You know, it's going to be so embarrassing. What a way to die. What an absolute Muppet. Uh, And at that moment, my phone rang and it was in my sleeping bag. So I was able to get clamber back into my sleeping bag. And it was my then fiance, Caroline, went, went on to become my wife, just calling in to check I was okay. Saved my life. Wow, she saved your life. That's a kind of a romantic story in the end, apart from all the, the piss <laughs> part and the Darwin Award. But you, there's so many stories, Toby. You've lived a very rich life. Yeah. Anyway, so another story, a uh, peak woke story, is um, the BBC presenter who had to apologize for describing the Dam Busters raid as infamous. Quite something um, to describe one of the most you know heroic stories from the Second World War embodying courage and British ingenuity and eccentricity, you know, a marvellous package, um, describing that as infamous, as though it's something we should probably be ashamed of, quite something. Anyway, she's at least apologised. The University of Surrey saying um, we can no longer use the phrases Indian summer or black sheep because they're non-inclusive. Um, but the, 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 my favourite Pete Wokenick um, was, did he, if you saw this one, is in the Express. Isn't the whole point of the black woman... sheep that they're not included? They're not included, they're the black sheep. <laughs> That's what it means. Yeah, so, uh, yeah but I suppose um, you, you can probably, they're probably not objecting to the concept, but just designating someone who is excluded as being in any way black. Yeah, well, I, anyway, I grew up in the country, um, so I, I literally think of it in terms of sheep. I was the black sheep of the family, and I grew up amongst sheep in Cumbria in the lakes. So to me, it's just, I don't even think, well, we didn't have any black people, so but we did have black sheep. So to me, it's a purely sheep-based metaphor. But go on, Toby. Um, uh, so um, a, a woman um, was shocked uh, after her neighbor refused to um, kill her child's head lice because she's a vegan. Uh. Vegan, we did it last so, night. Yeah. Um, did, yeah. So, did yeah. So, so um, this vegan woman combed the lice out of her child's hair, but instead of then, you know, crushing them on the bit of bog roll, which is what my wife does, um, she um, she let them loose in the garden um, because she to wanted to give them a chance. She said. A chance 
a chance of survival. Yeah. Yeah, even though they never would. <laughs> it was pure, yeah, no, absolutely obscene. And I want to know how what she thinks about abortion, because a lot of the time these vegan people don't care about humans, but they care about head lice. My argument, Toby, have, since I'm currently reading Genesis, was that God gave us dominion over head lice. It's right there in Genesis. So it, what's the, we should be allowed to kill them. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that. Even I wouldn't necessarily appeal to biblical authority, but um, yeah, having had four kids, um, I've got four kids, and you know, they've all had head lice at one time or another. And if you don't, you know, if you don't get rid of them from one, they quickly jump to the other, and suddenly you've got four kids with head lice, and then it infects the adults. Not me, obviously, but my poor wife. So yeah, killing head lice—I don't think that's a crime against humanity, or even against lice. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you on that, Toby. Should I do one of mine? Yeah, do one of yours. So many. Well, I've I've gone for Rita Ora proposing to her husband. She revealed that she proposed to her husband rather than the normal way around, of course, which is a man proposing. And I say this is very flawed, Toby, because if a man accepts a proposal from a woman, he's already gay for even accepting it. So you can't marry him because he's not a straight. Because no straight man. I mean, that was, that was a bit of homophobia there near the end. No straight man would accept that, would they? No man, well, it wouldn't come up amongst the gay community because I suppose you're bound to have the man proposing because they're both men. But what man, what red-blooded male, Toby, could it, not that gay people aren't red-blooded, but what red-blooded heterosexual male could accept a proposal from a woman? Yeah, it's, um, uh, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I, isn't, I, I think, isn't it okay um, uh, on February 29th in leap years, um, isn't isn't that when it's okay for women to propose to men, or is there one day in the year when it's okay for women to propose to men? I can't remember, but um, yeah, just being I've proposed to, haven't you? No, no, that's that, that's the thing. Um, really, but being proposed is it to Halloween. You know, I don't think it's not Halloween. Um, uh, Sounds satanic to me. Um, no, I think I think it is, I think it is on the. I think it's uh, hold on. When you Google, when can women? propose to men and leap year i think it's going to bring up uh, yeah february 29th is when they can according to tradition women are permitted to propose to their other half during a leap year and specifically on the 29th of february based it, on the it, legend it, it of stems saint from bridget and saint patrick there you go it's an irish thing called ladies privilege or bachelor's day well it's irish so yeah you wouldn't get it in england but i suppose um... you know if, if 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 we are concerned about you know the lower than replacement birth rate um, across the West, which is rapidly bringing about the end of Western civilization. Um, shouldn't we relax, be a bit more relaxed about women proposing to men? Because, you know, men are such cucks these days that if, if women hang around waiting for them to propose, the birth rate will just continue to decline. Interesting argument. Also, Rita, Rita Ora is very hot. So that's another argument that maybe it's Rita Ora proposing to you. Would you turn a blind eye? I personally wouldn't because she's clearly fallen and she's a classic modern woman. They're all feminists. They're, they're all fallen. But and I wouldn't be able to go because she's proposed to me. I think I'd still have to say no, Toby. But it'd be a shame because, you know, she is Rita Ora. So, yeah, interesting. And the birth rate. I hadn't even thought of that. I'm still against it, though. What if it was... Um you know, some beautiful Christian princess. Um, uh, well, she wouldn't be doing a it. A virgin. You see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she wouldn't be doing it because she would understand that it's not traditional. While we're on that, by the way, every, here's my theory, and let, let me get myself in even more trouble. Even every single conservative or so-called trad woman in the scene is actually a feminist. Possible exception of Pearl, 
who says that women shouldn't vote. But, you know, Pearl, the famous Pearl Davis, she's massive on, on, yeah. on uh, YouTube. But they're all fake though, because they've all got careers. They're all trad. And you think they're all trad, but they're all in the media. They're not at home because they're in the media. And they're all conservative. Sorry if you're listening, conservative women who are in the media, but you're not. You're all feminists. You've, you've just, you, feminism is so deep in you that you just, there might be some trad woman out there who's so trad we've never heard from her because she's just at home. She's cooking things. But we've never seen her or heard from her. They could exist. But in, in the public eye, I don't believe any of these conservative women are conservative uh, yeah, at all. There might, there, isn't, isn't there a kind of website that, where you can you know, find the kind of very traditional, pre-feminist, stay-at-home woman that you're looking for? You know, handmaidstale.com or something. Um, <laughs> there, 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 must, there must be a kind of dating site. You're actually joking. Very someone, traditional, conservative men like you. Someone sent one to me the other day trying to be nice. And I haven't replied to him yet. Sorry about that. But thank you very much for this. It was very nice of them. And they sent me an app that actually is exactly for this. But I thought there must be so few people. And apparently, um, I think, oh, they're saying Louise Perry has, has, has pointed out. Do they mean Lois or Louise? Well, it could be Louise because they're, they're, both of those are possible. Um, anyway, there's this I mean app Louise, apparently. For, okay, so there's an app for that for that exactly, apparently. But I just think it'd be like, there'd only be like 10 people on it. They'd all be from the conservative <laughs> media scene. And they'd be like, oh, Nick's on this app, but I'll lose it. Do you know what I mean? And that's, a, that's a worry for me in general, being such a public figure. No, they'd, all be, think- they'd all be guard, guardian journalists um, hoping to ensnare some misogynist that they could then <laughs> expose in the pages of The Guardian. Yeah, actually, it's probably, it's, it's probably a real sausage pie. It's probably about just 10 blokes on it, just 10 like right-wing <laughs> blokes on there with like like St. George's cross armor just saying Deus Vault and stuff like that. I just think, I just think that's why you're invoking the crusade. I think, I think the crusade, I think that's what you'll get. What do you think to this, Toby? While, we're, while I'm getting in trouble, I thought of this the other day as well. The suffragettes, remember them? They were yeah. just the just stop oil of their time, right? Creating <laughs> havoc, jumping in front of horses, promoting radical destructive ideas. Weren't they essentially <laughs> just stop oil? What do you think? Um, I guess I guess the difference is that um, civil disobedience is justifiable um, if the cause is righteous enough. And in the case Which of just stop wasn't. oil, it isn't. But in the case of the suffragettes, I'm afraid we bought company, and I think it was. Really? Wow. Yeah. Toby's a lefty, guys. He's he's a far left. I think you, I can I think you can support women's rights. Believe that women going. should have the vote without being without being without being a lefty. Anyway, I think that's an extreme idea. If you look at the, look at the course of history, that's an extreme, radical, very recent idea. Those people were extremists, and they were jumping in front of horses. They sound kind of like extremists to me. But anyway, hey, well, I guess you racial decide. equality is a relatively recent radical idea too. Doesn't mean it's not a righteous cause. Anyway. Um, well, yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know going to that because I could feel like I could lose that argument. But um, all right, any any other peak woes? <laughs> no, that's it from me. Should we move really? on to oh, reviews? Let me. Well, this is our last episode after everything I've just said. Um, well, we, we could have also had Harry's razors, couldn't we? Who came Harry's out razors, in favour yeah, of yeah. Uh, of uh, mutilating people and having double mastectomies? And it's a real problem because we already can't use Gillette because they hate men, and we can't use Harry's. You only, because they, they're pro-mutilation. So the only thing you can do now is have a beard like me. I haven't used a wet shave for years. I mean, what are you going to do, Toby? You've got Jeremy's, you you've got your neck? sword. Yeah, I, I, use, I use clippers to shave my head and shave my moustache and beard. And I've got a kind of an electric razor to shave my neck, my neck beard. My kids started taking the mickey out of me for my neck beard. So now oh, I've really? had to kind of do something about it. 
Well, I'm just using an electric uh, beard trimmer for all of it because it's got so many settings. You can just do a zero. You take the top off and you just do right. a zero. But okay. um, but yeah, I don't. But you've got. I think the options now are Jeremy's, which was started by Daily Wire, Jeremy Boring, and you've got Wilkinson Sword. Yeah. I think still. That's about it, isn't it? I mean, we're struggling. Was that one of the advertisements on the back of buses, which is like um, for bald men? It's like got multiple blades, and you just kind of you can shave your entire head in about thirty seconds. I forgot what that's called. That that, that looks quite good. You need it's that one. I mean, like, you should actually advertise that as well. I could. I'm yeah. Toby Young, cancelled journalist. I'm known for being a workaholic and having virtually no time. So how do I shave? How do I keep my head so smooth and polished? Well, introducing whatever this thing on the bus is called. You'd be so good, Toby. Um, and by the way, museum cancelled J.K. Rowling over a super hateful trans views. Great Western Railway. Railway, yeah, sure. Let's go with that. Railway denied access to hateful gender critical sites. Did you see that one, Toby? Uh, and uh, yes, Lizzo did something. Yeah, sex matters were blocked on um, by Great Western Railways. Um, and someone's actually pointed out to me that London Calling, they think, is also blocked on Great Western Railways. It'd be interesting. That Any listeners sense. out there want to test this? Let's see if um, the Weekly Skeptic is blocked by Great Western Railways. I wouldn't be surprised. There's quite a funny one where Lizzo uh, accused one of her dancers of being overweight, uh, and, and she's in, she's been cancelled now. Private school overhauls English curriculum to challenge pale male and stale syllabus. This was a school in Dulwich. All the usual ones. They're all pretty standard, Pete Wilkes, though, so I can't even be bothered. I think Rita Ora, Harry's Razors, Matt Hancock, and the Jesus. I think probably Jesus being removed from an ad probably wins it because you, know, you can't go against one, yeah. the Lord. Um, but we don't really have you noticed anymore, that the, actually. We've forgotten the, to do that. We've forgotten to do that. The Mail has now started introducing a kind of woke series. So it's basically taken the peak woke idea and run with it. So now they do peak woke and they have daily woke stories. They've stolen it from us. Yeah, that's not surprising. I've had a lot of things stolen. I've had an entire podcast stolen, but we, we don't <laughs> talk about that. But um, it's, uh, yeah, it's not surprising, Toby. This podcast is massive now, very influential, and a lot of people are going to start stealing from it, and we, we're going to start suing them. Luckily, we've got the Free Speech Union. That'd be quite interesting. Free Speech <laughs> Union sues Daily Mail for stealing Pete Woke idea. What happened to Free Speech, Toby? <laughs> Toby Young not defends it. What are you not called, director or something? Toby Young defends it. This isn't really a free speech issue. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm delighted that the Mail is, um, is, 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 is on the same side as us and is drawing attention to some of the absurd overreach of the woke community. You're welcome, Mail. All right. Well, now let's go to everyone's favorite section. It's review the reviews. This is my new section where I tear apart our listeners, usually using quite brutal language because um, <laughs> they've sent some pretty annoying reviews this week. I have to say some really, really annoyed me. This one I hated. Someone said, generally great. So they start with that. Okay. Then they go, <laughs> some folk here have complained that it's too long. There is a simple solution to this. Whenever Nick Dixon... Oh, do you mean the guy that makes the whole podcast happen, picks every story, formed every section except Pete Woke, which credit goes to Toby. But do you mean the guy that makes the whole podcast happen and hosts it? Yeah, that guy. Okay. Whenever Nick Dixon starts prattling on about so-called top G Andrew Tate, simply fast forward the podcast. That will cut off about 20 minutes of irrelevant rubbish. Well, fuck you. All right. This guy's called Dundee (laughs) Believer. The podcast is not for people like you. Nick Dixon makes the whole fucking podcast happen, right? He picks all the stories. He comes up with sections like Birdwatch. He writes the titles. He usually writes the description. He shaped the whole direction of the podcast. Toby Young, also crucial, and our producer, Jason, and Will. But let's face it, there's no podcast without Nick Dixon. So the idea that like you can attack me, and let's, let's talk about the top G bit. 
one of my f- most downloaded episodes was was free top G, and there was another top G episode that did incredibly well as well. People love that content. Maybe we gone about it a bit too much lately, and I did get bored of it myself a bit. But fine. But in the last one, but like basically fuck off because you don't deserve the podcast. I make the podcast happen. Make very little from it. It's a labor of love, and I will not do it if people write shit like this because the idea the idea that they live in a world where I, they get this free podcast that they've said is generally great. But then there's one thing that I do that they don't like, and then suddenly it's just prattling on with irrelevant rubbish. Well, get fucked, cunt. Anyway, so that's my so, position on that one. So this is, this uh, is, this is just let, let that be a warning to prospective reviewers. That was Nick's response to a review that began generally great. So just don't qualify it, guys. <laughs> just keep it unqualified. Just unqualified praise is what we're after here. Yeah, well, I'm particularly annoyed because there was another one that said, great work, Toby. And I don't mind praising Toby. <laughs> and I think people shouldn't attack Toby. But this says, boom, Toby finally punctures Nick's Andrew Tate bubble and brings him back down to earth with a thud. Kudos to you, Toby. Is this the end for the obligatory top G spot? We'll also get fucked because I didn't, he didn't puncture my fucking whatever you said. And actually, Tate messaged me this week saying, real G. Maybe I shouldn't put that in the podcast. Anyway, he called me a real G because I've been, I have never faltered. Because I have, I, I don't falter because communists tell me that I can't like someone. Oh, you, haven't you checked? You can't like that person today. You've all got to agree with us. Well, I don't work like that. I, I just say what I say. I believe what I believe. And I'm not going to change my mind because I'm suddenly not allowed to like someone. I'll change it on my own terms. And I don't believe Toby did punch in my bubble. He has arguments. And we have interesting debates about it. We didn't punch anything. So that's that. So those two really annoyed me. I don't know. Any comment, Toby? I don't want to just... Um. Uh, no, <laughs> it, compared to the reviews so I get on c- compared to the reviews I get on London Calling, I'd be absolutely delighted with both of those. But but you have much. Yeah, well, standards. look, the reviews that are good about you and reviews that are bad. I don't, I don't, I don't think people attack you either. They attack you a lot on the um, you get called a cook and especially over your misgendering. But again, I've always said that's not deliberate. Um, so those are a couple of bad reviews. They still actually that was actually still a five star review, and so was the other ones. <laughs> it was still five. <laughs> those people now might turn against me. Imagine what your reaction would be if they'd given us. Four stars, you would, my God, you'd be still be swearing and spluttering with rage. Yeah, it's true. But this one was good. Daily Skeptic. I'm a big podcast fan and have no shortage of quality, independent news info media to play, but I always listen to this show. Toby may appear to be a maddeningly intransigent coincidence error theorist, but that makes it a good gateway show for people just waking up to the corruption of authority and the state we have been in and are endlessly and deeply mired in enjoyable and erudite. Toby is a wise sage, but Nick keeps the show vital with his dry wit and clear-headed view. Top. So that's quite good, isn't it? It does call not you intransigent, but not too bad. Um, and this one says, uh, <laughs> if, only Nick and t- if, if only Nick had told us he was ill, that's a good one. Five stars. Um, informative and entertaining, excellent double act. I feel quite sane and very moderate after listening to this, probably in comparison to me. And they say, great show. So, you know, this is all good. I love listening. Someone says, interesting, knowledgeable, topical, and occasionally witty. What more could we ask for? Occasionally. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks for creating this great content. I appreciate it. So anyway, there you go. So some mainly, some mainly, some good ones there as well. And mainly another Weasley, Weasley caveat slipped in occasionally. A little bit of um, a caveat, but so, so, so what is our what is our average star rating now? We're on four point eight. What are we? Four point okay, eight because good. of some of these scumbags that gave us marked us down. <laughs> The current thing, my other one, is still on 4.9 from 202 reviews, which is pretty great. We've had 340 reviews at 4.8. So, you know, it's pretty good. It's still way better than, than most podcasts. And um, and we thank you for your reviews. And, of course, if you criticize me in any way, I will eviscerate you in the review the review section. But maybe some of these people are, are masochists and enjoy it. Who knows? 
Um, I just get very, very angry when people, they like, I don't have to make this podcast. Do you think I'm making loads of money off this? We should be, but we're not because of stupid reasons. But let's face it, this has been a labor of love for 50 episodes nearly. And it's, I just think, who are these people that are like, yeah, but then Nick should shut up and stop prattling on about things. It's like, well, that's the same person that you're you're saying is a prattling, irrelevant idiot who makes the rest of the podcast. So what? The, who gave you that God-given right to have my labor? I don't know. Am I right, Toby, to be sick and Well, I suppose, but couldn't you, couldn't you say the same thing? But let's suppose someone um, is, you know, generally enthusiastic about a particular film, um, but they criticize, you know, a couple of minor details. Um, could the director or the filmmakers then turn around and say, where do you get off criticizing these minor details? If it wasn't for me, the film wouldn't exist. And you've said you enjoy the film. So you're almost saying to people, either you just have to unequivocally praise it or don't say anything at all. Because if you like it a little bit, if you like it for the most part, then how dare you criticize any aspects of it? I think I'm saying um, it's the tone, actually. If you say prattling on irrelevant rubbish or whatever it was, <laughs> that's so rude. And, and uh, obviously I've been rude in reply now. That's so rude because you're being, you should say something like, great podcast. Uh, for my taste, bit too much stuff about Andrew Tate. We've got the message now, guys, but love what you do. I could live with that. I could live with that. What I can't live with is 20 minutes of irrelevant rubbish, which probably now this think, section do, is. Do, do and I can't not, do, live do, with the you, phrase <laughs> prattling on because I, I can't live with that. And I can't, I, think I will this, not live with that. You, you, you introduced this review the review section by, by calling it everyone's favorite section so it sort of supplanted peak woke and i think that may be right but i think one of the things people really like about it is how irascible and upset you become by kind of minor qualifications for what is otherwise <laughs> <laughs> high praise and do you think people actually might be because they enjoy you reacting like this and kind of getting wound up that they're actually using phrases like right. prattling on just in the hope of triggering you maybe you're playing playing into their hands it's a perverse incentive i've created you're absolutely right Toby. you're absolutely right i'm so entertaining when i'm angry because i'm so gifted that i've created a perverse incentive for people to deliberately wind me up which is a terrible thing to do but people are like that they this is what jamie fox meant they are like that people okay. so people are, are bad and they will do that i mean they don't understand what i put into this show i mean it's incredible i could uh, it's so upsetting anyway I think, I think and they like it because it makes you seem it seem vulnerable and human. Um, yeah, you know, and, I'm and too I think, fucking vulnerable. That's the problem. Too much fucking <laughs> perspective, innit? Um, spinal tap. By the way, and I haven't even said, the top G that you hate me talking about so much was freed this week. And we didn't even do it as a topic because I couldn't be bothered getting more insults. But he was freed from house arrest. And he's, he's, we still have to stay in Bucharest, but he was freed from house arrest. And the judge looked at it and said, yeah, they should be free. So that was good. If you're a tape fan, not good if you're not. And I did think it was quite interesting, actually. Jordan Peterson, our friend, attacked Tristan Tate, who's a friend of mine, for um, so they're all our friends. But he attacked him. <laughs> if someone's past is really rooted through in the way that the Tates has been, you'll find that many of the people that you 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 like probably will not pass the purity test. I actually will. So I don't know why I defend these <laughs> people who don't, but I actually weirdly will. You will not find anything particularly bad. But with, with some people... But, you know, well-known figures, if you really go through their past, I don't know. That's all I'm saying. Quite interesting. Anything you'd like to add, Toby, to that tirade? I know I missed, I missed, I missed that. Um, I missed Jordan Peterson criticizing um, Tristram Tate. Um, but I'm not sure you would pass the purity test for some conservatives because it's not just about behavior. It's also about speech, isn't it? Or speech is a kind of subset of behavior that they take seriously. I mean, maybe less so right. conservatives than 
people on the other side. But um, yeah, when I was cancelled, just want to talk about that once again. Um, <laughs> it wasn't for anything I'd done. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't for. No one accused me of you know sexually harassing anyone or. Or, or actually, you know, making anyone uncomfortable in any sense, not insulting anyone, um, not for committing any crimes, obviously, it was nothing like that. It was all breaking woke speech codes, often, you know, 30 years ago before they were even in place. Um, but yeah, th- th- there was no kind of, there was no kind of, um, you're okay, you know, you don't deserve to be cancelled because you haven't actually committed, you haven't, you haven't done anything concrete or tangible that's actually harmed anyone. It was all no smoking gun. There's no smoking bomb. It was all just stuff you said. Yeah. No, you're right. I would actually be in the exact same problem. It would be stuff I've said. You're absolutely, you said that before. You're right. I've done nothing particularly bad in my behavior, but I have said many, many terrible things. So you're right. That would be the, that would be the problem. We should do a podcast, Toby, that's just a meta podcast of, of the weekly skeptic. And it just goes like, when I was canceled and I just, then I just say, I've been ill. And then I, then I'd say, <laughs> Andrew Tate, I just say the word top G I've been ill. And you, you reply, well, when I was cancelled, and we just go on, let me just do everything. Yeah. And, uh, about this review, calling me one of the funniest comedians in the country. One of the funniest comedians in the country? One of? Where do you get off calling me one of? Who's funnier, I want to know. Yeah. 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 That's review the reviews, guys. Thank you for all your reviews. We, they mean a lot to us. They touch our hearts. If you want to help support this show, or actually, I don't know how to do that. You can, uh, well, you can donate to The Daily Skeptic. And if you want to support me, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Nick Dixon because for now I make F all off this. So if you want to help me out, you can do that. And you can go to The Current Thing, my other podcast, where we had a certain James Delingpoll, which has absolutely smashed it and become our most downloaded audio episode. And we just had the wonderful Dr. Claire Craig, very sober, very smart, very professional analysis of COVID. She's released this book, Expired the Untold, COVID the Untold Story. Very, very good book. Very interesting so we've got great episodes on the current thing. If you're, for some reason you're not listening to that yet, but yeah, we're getting a bit long now. So let's round it up, Toby, with anything you want to plug. No, just wanted to um, give the usual plug to the Daily Skeptic. It's dailyskeptic.org. If you enjoy the content, please consider if you donate five pounds a month, then you can comment. Um, and it's a very lively, below the line comment community. So yeah, please support us if you have five pounds spare. And we made the podcast too long again. I was aiming for it to be shorter this week. Failed again because the review section got out of hand. But um, people are torn on that. Some people say it's too long. Some people say not long enough. So it's like, I think in future, maybe we'll do both. We'll do a shorter episode and then we'll do some extra content for people that really want it. Maybe that'll be the... Who knows? Let us know. But until next week, that's what we should do. But until next week, stay sceptical. Stay sceptical. Stay sceptical.